everybody so kind of doing a, uh, a another catch-up episode um, just to let everybody know and to uh, our surprise uh, we were actually hacked uh, recently and uh, kind of unusual uh, but but it, it does explain why we've had uh, uh, some technical issues turns out uh, the security for uh, Anchor, which which I guess to a lesser extent, uh, or to a greater extent, is Spotify itself, uh, explained to us that um, much like the AI that are running around doing image creation and now editing and animation and stuff like that, turns out that uh, the most popular ones are actually the um, uh, the the AI that hack and they just randomly hack uh, en masse and then and then I guess I'm assuming the person who creates it then kind of folds it all together and sees what they got a little bit like uh oh like a like 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 fishing um but nothing nothing has really changed our our uh, our backlogs were unfortunately deleted uh but uh but none of the the contributions which we always really appreciate that help us uh run the 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 site um luckily that that was not touched um surprisingly so um, probably just an automated thing, but um, it does mean that we'll be doing a couple uh, smaller episodes, and that includes this one. So, so today, <clears throat> today I'd like to focus on some new lore. Uh, I'm very excited uh, to say that we got kind of a new book uh, in the form of Kasserkin, um, and uh, it's it, it it involves obviously the the Cadian elite soldiers there. Uh, on a mission, uh, and uh, they are operating on this kind of, uh, it sounds very much like a, an Arrakis-type uh, planet. Uh, I'm trying to uh, recall the, 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 uh, the author's name, um, which is Eduardo Albert. Um, I've never uh, read any of his stuff before, but it's interesting because he's an actual uh, historian. Um, which is kind of, uh, I think, a little bit on the rare side for Black Library to 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 get somebody. So the book, the book itself, and this is not a review of the book. We'll be focusing on um, kind of the the tidbits therein uh, regarding specifically the Crute, because the Crute have also been getting you know little snippets of lore here and there uh, uh, as they uh, release a new version of Kill Team, which kind of takes place on this giant uh, space Hulk. Uh, that has uh, Imperial Navy uh, boarding teams uh, fighting a uh, something called a kin band, but the book reads it's an it's a very strange book. It is I would not really classify this as um, as a forty k norm book, or or perhaps it's uh, indicative of some of the uh, some of the lore to come, but it's. Um, I recommend it, I guess. Uh, it's, you know, I, I give it like a, like a six and a half out of 10. Uh, it's, it's certainly unique, but I would describe the writing style and a lot of the nomenclature that we, that we, uh, well, at least if you, if you read a lot of 40K novels, um, the nomenclature is kind of in this weird modern place. 
that has, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that sticks in my mind is uh, the Kasserkin leader kind of have a, says offhandedly that, um, you know, that that uh, just like a cup full of this uh, this this resource on the planet that they're on, um, which which by the way is is used in rejuvenate uh, 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 treatments, uh, is more valuable than a suit of custodian armor, and you know at first it's like oh you know calm sword you're being nitpicky which I which I totally am and have embraced over the last couple of years about myself uh, everybody uh, you know deserves to uh, change and grow and and sometimes shrink. Uh, I am a little bit nitpicky about things like this, and it just seems odd that a Kasserkin um, <clears throat> would even really know what a custodian is. Uh, you know, if if you were if you remember, the custodians are are a very small faction uh, of imperial servants who, uh, up until uh, the destruction of Cadia and the uh, the war uh, to kind of contain or at least uh, deal with the rift. Uh, and, this, and the crusade forces aren't actually that widespread. Obviously, they're you know they're an extremely small uh, operating force. It just feels weird that their their suits of armor would suddenly fall into the vernacular uh, of uh, of of kind of what what I would say is a is a fairly straight you know like just just a regular guy in 40k. Despite being you know the elite, I, I don't think that the Kasserkin would really work alongside the custodians. Maybe that's just me. Um, I've always been a little bit critical of the custodians because it feels like, they, I mean, they're 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 super uh, they're super 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 soldiers, uh, and uh, and they just they they, they I don't know they, they feel like, I feel like they float above the rest and so anybody that kind of goes up against them it's got to be something very unique at least in my opinion but I'm I'm going on a tangent, um, but the book you know it 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 does that a lot it does these. These these things that I would describe as as almost like modern reflections on the Warhammer 40k universe, uh, and and there's a lot of contention between the characters. There's there's one character who's a commissar, but he's also the son of the the overall like general of the imperial you know the imperial forces in the area, and that that just feels a little bit odd because I I I always thought of commissars as kind of uh, these orphans um, that are that are trained through the Scolia uh, uh, progenium, and I just, um, yeah, I just I find it weird that he knows who his dad is, and uh, the character is struggling a lot of the time, you know, through uh, struggling with the fact, you know, that you know he's a he he's a, he's benefiting from this nepotism and everything. Either way, it's it's an it's a very interesting book. I just, you know, it it doesn't feel like a forty k novel a lot of the time. Um, but there are a lot of, you know, modern sequences, you know, the Tau aren't present, um, very much. They, you know, there's, I think there's, uh, a lot of mentions of like high flying drones and, a, you know, like a tiger shark and things like that. Uh, and it really focuses on the, the kind of struggle between this kin band, um, uh, uh this crude war band and the Kasserkin as they both, uh, hunt the desert for, um, this, uh, Imperial commander that's, that's been lost. So without talking more about the book... Uh, I'd like to I'd like to switch over and kind of talk about what what a kin band is because it represents uh, a, a really big shift uh, to to examine a part of Crute culture that we don't really know about. Um, for those of you who might have missed the episode on Crute, uh, here's a quick primer. 
um, the Crute used to inhabit, uh, by all, for, from what from from all the evidence that we see, uh, kind of a vast interstellar empire. Uh, after they, uh, you know, the let's call them the Proto Crute, uh, consumed orcs that crash landed on their homeworld of Peck. Uh, we, you know, now we have a really cool like mythology about um, the Crute goddess. Uh, uh, who who battles um, who battles the orc gods? You know, it, this is it's a myth told by the Crute in the in the new Xenobiologist book um, or Lieber's Xenologist book, uh, <clears throat> and it's uh, it's 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 a it's a kind of you know it, it kind of tells this kind of like there's an inclination um, that you know that 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 there's both a spiritual aspect, a kind of a there's an odd relationship between the Crute and the orcs, but. Um, the Crute are uh, a bipedal avian uh, species that uh, kind of take on the aspects of, of uh, the genetic aspects of the things that they eat. And these proto-Crute uh, consumed uh, orc flesh and were basically able to unlock a lot of, let's call it the intuition of the orcs. Um, how to, you know, uh, the orcs are born uh, very, very similar uh, to the Tau uh, with a caste system. Um, they have uh, different different members of their species uh, are just kind of born different, uh, and uh, and uh, and and so the engineers of their race, you know, just kind of instinctually know how to build stuff. The uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, but the crute kind of uh, adapt to that um, through their own genetic ability to absorb traits, um, and so they build uh, these uh, you know early starships, which will eventually become these things called crute spheres, uh, crute war spheres. Um, uh, which are gigantic. They're giant cities in space. Um, and they have uh, some of the most powerful uh, gravitic technology in the galaxy, unlike the rest, uh, really the rest of the factions in Warhammer 40k. Uh, I don't know if the Leagues of Votan will have something like this, but uh, Crute war spheres, which are you know battleship-sized, uh, can actually land on planets uh, and take off. Uh, which is kind of unheard of. Usually, um, usually the the giant you know city ships of the Imperials, uh, even the Tau, their their larger vessels are restricted to kind of the upper atmospheres. They can't actually get lower, uh, and so have to ferry troops back and forth. Um, so so kind of you know the the Crute have this really unusual knack for technology, uh, which they then expand upon and become a vast kind of interstellar empire, which eventually runs into uh, the area known uh, as the uh, Alsanta Orc Empire. Um, of course, the, some some uh, some sources actually sometimes say it could be uh, the uh, the Caradon, uh, the Caradron, uh, but I believe it's Alsanta. Um, uh, either way, they run into the Orcs again, um, and this time the Orcs, um, who have a uh, you know a proper empire, uh, just just turn on the Crute and and smash them. Uh, to bits, and and we don't know how long that war goes on for. Uh, I can tell you now that the Demiurg, which we now called the Leagues of Votan, um, uh, created a relationship with the Crute that that far predate the Crute's involvement with the Tau. Um, but uh, but effectively, that doesn't it doesn't help the Crute, and uh, their empire basically goes through a very long uh, decline uh, until eventually there's only several worlds left in the area known as the Pertus Rift, which is just east of the Tau Commonwealth, and um, and the and the Tau uh, effectively saved them um, from extinction. Um, the orcs were basically 
mopping up uh, crude resistance at that point. So, um, so why is that important? Uh, what's interesting is that ever since Blackstone, um, we have this we have this in, we have this kind of new uh, take on on a lot of the crude uh, history because uh, one of the one of the crude uh, that's in uh, the 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 main storyline um, uh, for Blackstone is called Dayak Grek, uh, and he's a he's a really interesting character because one his he doesn't mention that his homeworld is Peck, uh, he lives on a on another Crute world that doesn't that has never been kind of identified uh, anywhere near Tau space, and in fact he doesn't really talk about uh, the Tau at all. Um, this is part of an ongoing trend I've noticed with a lot of the lore that places these, mi let's call them the minor alien races, um, more scattered uh, than you would think. So generally speaking, people, you know, especially with the Tau, you know, the, the, the Tau uh, are in the eastern fringe. Um, you know, they have, a, they have an area of space that's around uh, 360 to 400 light years in diameter that's in the direct uh, vicinity of their homeworld. Uh, and then they have one large area uh, that's about the you know about about the same size as the third sphere, so about thirty percent of the of the of, of the um, uh, of, of their their territories uh, are are somewhere between Carduniash and Ball, um, and that's it. But but we are starting to see uh, that uh, the tower also, uh, and I've talked about this before, the tower also at Nakmund, and Nakmund is uh, in the uh, uh, Segmentum Solar. Um, which is on the clear other side of the galaxy, and there's no explanation for why they're there. Now, uh, and again, it, it could just be, you know, who cares about geography now? <laughs> uh, it could be all sorts of things, but the Tau uh, are sprinkled now throughout the galaxy. They're in the galactic core, they're near Baal, um, they're near Carduniash, uh, they, uh, but they've also been, you know, they've, 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 they've also been in the uh, Segmentum Tempestus since... Uh, since fourth edition, so so what's really cool about this is that the crude are kind of getting the same treatment. Where you have the crude um, that are obviously, you know, let's let's use the term loyal to the Tau. And and what does loyalty mean? Loyalty means uh, they don't eat Tau, um, which I'll get to in just a sec because it's fascinating when they do, um, and they don't uh, and they don't proactively uh, or at least obviously work for anybody other than the Tau when they're close to Tau space. Now, we do know that they are a mercenary race. They are dependent entirely on uh, uh, on, on bringing in new genetic uh, material um, to, to their homeworlds. And they do so by, uh, and they do so by uh, when a member uh, of a crude of of kindred becomes old, they'll uh, they'll they'll basically basically be ritually eaten, um, which is kind of cool, uh, and and they pass on their genetic data uh, to the next uh, to the next generation, um, uh, and we know that and we do know that these kindreds that that are that kind of scour the galaxy for new genetic material, uh, we know that they always go home to Peck, uh, and we know that because of the uh, the RPG, so. <clears throat> um, so what the kin band kind of represents uh, is is a, is layering on uh, Dayak Grek's uh, history in that he he is a he's a crude that doesn't mention any of the Tau at all, 
Um, he's extremely mercenary. He'll work for anybody. He works for, you know, uh, a rogue trader, works for uh, uh, chaos, uh, uh, you know, these kind of gangster characters. He works for, uh, you know, the crew themselves. Um, it is very interesting because he served alongside Vespid. Um, but again, no mention of Batau, so that's kind of interesting. Um, and uh, and and uh, and I, I haven't seen any connection yet. Um, but 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 basically, leaning on this idea of kind of a another uh, family or another another branch of the crew, of Crute society, um, we have the Kinbands, which have been uh, recently released into the uh, the the Kill Team kind of sub universe of Forty K called Into the Dark. So what are these kinband? Okay, so I've never seen anything uh, like them. Um, I really do hope that they remain a unique aspect of the crew because we know that the crew uh, heavily rely on family units. After all, uh, when they colonize a planet, uh, they do so uh, with with you know let's call them their civilians, you know, and uh, and so they their their family units are. Are very close knit. Um, it seems like they, they they move around with their children, so they're a very family oriented uh, species. When they operate with the Tau, um, they're they're noted as being um, particularly uh, let's call it uh, empathetic with the Tau as well. Uh, they adopt uh, fire warrior customs, and fire warriors in turn adopt crude customs. Usually, this is uh, uh, signified by the sigils that they paint on their um, on themselves as well as their armor things like that there's a there's a healthy level of trade that goes back and forth between uh between crute and and tau um specifically uh crute rifles which uh have been modified uh over the years uh over the thousands of years that the tau and crute have worked together that uh they they basically fire pulse rounds um so that's you know the, the the tower usually pretty restrictive on who they share their technology with, um, probably be probably because um, you know every now and again uh, that will actually turn around and bite them um, if, if they if they uh, give somebody too big of a, a weapon you know that's that's a potential liability. So um, so it's a representative of how the 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 tower really respect uh, the crude, um, but the kin band are different. Um, so starting with kind of the general explanation of what they are, um, they seem to be a special, a hyper-specialized uh, formation of Krut um, that are much more religious, if the book Kasserkin is to be taken uh, as, as kind of representation. They are, they are a mercenary's mercenary. Uh, they, they seem to operate, they do work for the Tau, um, but if you read the uh, so far the primer for into the into the dark, uh, this kin band specifically doesn't, and has kind of gone a little bit more let's call it uh, 40k uh, with utilizing weapons um, and augmenting their bodies in ways that you know are more uh, more human or more uh, basically more opportunistic. Um, they the kin band uh, they do. They are led by uh, a shaper um, in the book. Uh, I'm not sure if they are regularly uh, led by shapers. Um, uh, and and shapers, by the way, are the leadership, uh, uh, kind of the leadership class of the crude. Uh, they they organize and tell uh, their kin what to eat and what not, and more importantly, what not to eat. Uh, the kin band um, are led by a shaper in the Kasserkin book. It doesn't. It's not clear if they 
are uh, if they are led by a shaper in the into the dark. I could be wrong, um, but uh, but it seems like there are specialists that kind of ha that are like uh, shaper light. Uh, Grek, uh, if for example, is able to um, understand uh, what he's eating uh, a, a lot more than the than what I would say the average crude. Uh, crude are very uh, once once the hunger kind of gets into them they they get uh they, they go a little bit uh crazy uh, and start gorging themselves and this has actually led to a lot of problems on the battlefield um because uh there you know are, are a few um really notable and unfortunate uh instances where the where the where, where crude carnivores um who are not being led by a shaper in the know start eating uh chaos corrupted flesh for example um and uh and end up uh, almost instantly kind of falling to chaos. Uh, uh, it's it's never really like specifically explained what that means, like it, because typically falling to chaos uh, involves like a choice. It seems like this is more like a version of uh, taint uh, where, where you know, there's a notable dif difference between corruption and taint. Corruption uh, seems to be more voluntary. Taint is almost like getting, uh, being too close to radiation and like, you know, it, it infects you. So... Um, but Grek, for example, uh, does know not to eat, uh, tainted flesh. And so does, uh, so does the kin band's, uh, leader, uh, which is called a kill broker. Um, now a kill broker, uh, is, uh, le you know, leads these kin bands and, and kind of, uh, and, and kind of encourages, uh, special, further speciali specialization uh, amongst the people, uh, or excuse me, amongst the crude, uh, that they, that are in their, their kin band. And that can be, um, in the case of, uh, one crude, uh, that is kind of like the, the, let's call it like the tank, uh, style, uh, of, of like character creation. Um, uh, he's supposed to be, uh, carrying a bunch of stuff, uh, in particular, a ritual pot, which they use to, uh, at the end of a contract, they'll take the 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 best kills and put it in this pot and then cook it. Um, he has been. This is a character from the Kasserkin book. Uh, he has been kind of forced into eating um, animals that are associated with labor uh, and are not particularly bright. Um, and I find that pretty interesting because it has actually dumbed him down. Uh, but but he's but he's immense, he's he's much stronger than everybody else and can kind of go longer, um, but he's got to you know he's got to be kind of told who to kill because he's he just doesn't have the kind of uh, kind of snap quick intelligence that the that the crew are kind of known for. Um, this kill broker communicates with the rest of we, we actually in Kasserkin, uh we 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 learn about about how the crew uh, communicate and they do that with um, kind of like a. Uh, uh, a subsonic uh in in the book they call it hypersonic i, I feel like that might be a, a misnomer but like a subsonic uh kind of uh, vibrations which they can which they can communicate by by uh shaking their quills or vibrating their quills at this uh, uh this this un you know inaudible frequency um they can do they can communicate over a really large area almost like a vox net um, and, uh, they do so in this language that even if you could pick up on it, like let's say with technology, uh, it is also then in this kind of secret language that the crew keep to themselves, uh, and not even the Tau know it. 
Um, so that's that's kind of cool. Um, the kill broker uh, is then kind of backed up by several other specialists, um, uh, one of which is the bow hunter. Um, the bow hunter is uh, is interesting because they have they're a little bit of a sharpshooter kind of a spe like like a they, they have a specialist weapon um, which allows them to uh, I mean I, for, for, honestly it, it it to me it feels like uh, uh, like a bowcaster from from Star Wars you know the, the things that uh, Wookies carry it's called an accelerator bow uh, and and has three you know different firing modes which you know can kind of deal with different uh, different problems as they arise um, then you have uh, then you have the uh, the cold bloods, um, and the cold bloods uh, have eaten uh, uh, creatures that that are, are particularly uh, stealthy uh, or, or 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 resilient, um, and uh, and and so they're 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 a little bit better at stalking their prey. And in Kasserkin, they they you know they they're kind of uh, they can't be seen um, you know kind of through a lot of the different spectral. Uh, uh, observations that uh, the, that the that the can have. By the way, the caster can have uh, crazy optics. The, that's 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 kind of the big takeaway from the book. And um, you know, their hell gun, hell guns, which I always thought was just you know kind of like a hot shot las gun, um, are actually you know, create. You know, they can they can they can shoot like a mile off and everything. And that's kind of unique for las weapons. Pretty cool. Um, but moving on, uh, there are then there's kind of a close combat specialist. Uh, that the kin band use, utilizes called cut skins. Um, um, so these kind of melee, uh, melee warriors uh, or melee warriors, whichever you prefer, um, uh, you know, you utilize different different weapons and weapons that I don't, I don't believe are uh, are are available in the box in the in the book Kasserkin, uh This guy is armed with a kind of what sounds like a crude war axe. Um, I'm kind of reminded of this. Uh, Iroquois weapon from last, or I guess it's a, a Mohican weapon. Uh, 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 that's that's like this blue uh, war axe. Uh, it's uh, the the descriptions uh, don't don't go into it. Uh, uh, don't go, go into it too much. But if you ever get you know get a chance with uh, with some Google, look up a Woodstock war axe, and that sounds like what this guy is wielding. Um, and he's awesome. Uh, he uh, he's he's basically uh, kind of kind of fearless, and I will say that that the crude, you know, culturally, we've never really we've always known that they were kind of badasses. Um, the first time we ever see a crude in the lore is in this book uh, called Kill Team, um, and uh, and there's a bar fight going on between Torellians and this uh, group of uh, you know Imperial operatives, which are on who are on this uh, assassination mission, and the crude just jump in and completely dominate the Torellians. Um, and later on, we'll you know they'll they'll show up in a in an ultramarine book by uh, by Graham McNeil, um, and uh, and Uriel Ventris is uh, is is ambushed by this crute, and he watches as the as he's fighting and, he, and he's surprised because the the crute they don't look like they're hefty enough to fight a space marine, um, but uh, but Uriel Ventris watches as um, their musculature kind of rearranges itself to to form. Uh, to kind of redouble this this uh, this crew's strength and kind of wrestle them down. Now, obviously, a space marine is in power armor, and it's Uriel Ventris who uh, who chops the the crew like in half with a karate chop. Uh, so you know, obviously, they probably should still you know wear armor or something, uh, but they don't. 
I, I should I should remind myself and and listeners that uh, the the reason why the Crute no longer have advanced uh, technology is that when they joined the Tau, they gave up on their uh, they gave up on their advanced technology, with the exception of the uh, uh, the Crute uh, war spheres. Um, so kind of interesting, and and even more interesting because to see these kin bands, uh, you can see them incorporating kind of uh, technologies that the Crute don't normally use, and and I specifically bring that up now with um, with uh, the Crute, which you can see in the box called uh, that's just called a heavy gunner. Um, now the heavy gunner is utilizing uh, one of two alien weapons, and we don't know anything about these aliens. Uh, and and it's it, I guess it's possible that the these these weapons could be of Crute design, um, but they they have two different names. One is called a Dvorgite Skinner or Dvorgite Skinner, and the other one is a Londraxi tr uh, Tribalist. Um, and both, uh, I mean, the, the, the Londraxi Tribalist basically sounds like a heavy bolter, um, and the Dvorgite Skinner um, is, uh, is basically like a flamer. Um, I can't wait to kind of listen here what the what the descriptions are. Hopefully, we'll get more once the once 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 I get my hand on the book. Um, but uh, but pretty cool. Um, now these these weapons are unlike uh, kind of anything I've ever seen before in in Warhammer uh, 40k. They they are extremely alien weapons, and uh, and in the hands of the crew, uh, pretty devastating. So it's uh, but it's unclear if they are by uh, crew design. Or alien, but it does show a divergence that the kin band uh, uses uh, uses technologies that uh, let's call it the uh, tau aligned crew do not. Um, perhaps that'll change at some point. Uh, who knows? Um, but I thought it was pretty cool. Um, the next guy uh, or the next type of crew operative is something called a long sight, and uh, that's it's pretty self explanatory. This is uh, a crew that has been fed. Uh, uh, predatory species uh, such as uh, kind of hawk analogs um, that allow him or it to uh, to basically see uh, at extreme ranges and, and shoot um, um, a modified crude rifle which is effectively a sniper rifle. Um, pretty cool. Uh, I, this, this I would say is uh, not, not I mean the crude have uh, if you go back to the crude codex from the earlier 2000s, uh, there there are uh, crude types that that are uh, that are kind of sharpshooters. So um, not not very surprising. Um, going through the kin band, uh, you know, we we're kind of uh, getting toward uh, the end where we have a, a pistolier. Um, I think they ran out of uh, interesting names for the. Uh, uh, for for um, for the crude operatives, um, but it's basically like a uh, a close range fighter. You know, uses lots of uh, the model has lots of different weapons on him and stuff like that. Um, this doesn't show up in the Kasserkin book. Uh, we have the Stalker, which definitely does. Uh, this is actually what Grek, I believe, is. Um, Grek is technically a Stalker, so it might be interesting to note uh, that we have uh, shapers, and then potentially we have uh, the. Um, the leadership unit, which is the um, uh, the kill broker, uh, and then maybe we have these stalkers. So that's that's kind of cool. And this and the stalker is uh, is is kind of uh, what I would call like a let's say like, let's call it like a veteran 
uh, a veteran uh, being um, who uh, who's able to kind of operate in the in the mid range. You know, it, I, I won't get into rules because I never do. But um, but this is the guy that you you know are are worried about if you uh, are at the negotiating table. This is the guy that's like you know way too calm. Um, last we have uh, the tracker. Um, and the tracker uh, does show up in the Kasserkin book. It, it, it really, uh, it's, it's interesting because they, they have uh, a, a creature called a Pekra, uh, which is, um, I guess, best described as a kind of a bird uh, analog, but it's actually from Peck, uh, obviously. Uh, now, I don't think that um, all of them are from Peck. It's probably uh, some kind of symbiotic uh, animal uh, that goes along with the crute. Um, what's interesting about this is that typically the crute only align with animals uh, that have crute DNA. Now, what what does that mean? That means that when a crute uh, colonize a planet uh, or parts of a planet, they they basically cr- uh, you know much like how humans terraform a planet, the crute uh, crute form a planet. Um, and that that basically means that over the course of a couple generations, all of the uh, the entire ecological system of a planet, or or at least a region of a planet, will eventually all have crude DNA in it. If if it's in the uh, the fauna, um, uh, it's unclear if the if the plants change, but crude do uh, call in, uh, have a preference for arboreal uh, arboreal environments, uh, much like their homeworld. Um, so that means you get things like crude hounds. You get uh, you get uh, narlocks. Uh, you get the greater narlocks, um, and uh, and and actually there is a a branch of the and, and all of these are evolutionary dead ends. You know where uh, where where they have become subspecies to the greater crute race. But the, at one point uh, they were crute. They just basically uh, I, I don't want to be judgmental, but they devolved effectively into. Uh, crude oxes, you know, which are these kind of big, uh, dumb, lumbering beasts, uh, uh, or the crude hounds, which are these kind of vicious, uh, you know, part Doberman, part Chihuahua, part crude uh, creatures that are incredibly intelligent, but are like uh, very, uh, very violent, um, uh, and, and usually bother the, the Tau just because they're, you know, the, the crude actually find it really funny when a crude hound starts kind of picking on a Tau. There are a couple stories that are it's always like a little bit of comic relief. Um, there's also, uh, I was uh, in my research, I actually found um, a crude form uh, that doesn't get a lot of play, uh, and that is <clears throat> called a crude abomination. Um, they are only they only appear once in the lore, uh, at, at least as far as I can tell, and that's during the invasion of Dalith uh, during the Damocles Gulf Crusade, the first one. Um, now this is about 250 years ago, um, and the crude abominations. Uh, I would best uh, their their descriptions are are pretty wild. Um, uh, they are uh, they, they maybe maybe what best to describe them is they're part crude uh, ox and part crude hound. Uh, so they're still upright, but they're they're hunched over. Uh, they have immense uh, musculature. Uh, and they uh, and they are uh, absolutely ravenous. Um, they're barely controlled by their crude handlers, and they're uh, you know they, they kind of sound like I mean, and the name is similar. They sound like abominants uh, from from the Gene Stealer cult, uh, which is interesting because the Gene Stealer cults uh, actually um, 
are are rivals to the crude, but but also share a lot of really unusual uh, similarities, um, which you can see uh, read about in the Syphus Kane novel when the crude kind of discover how how and what the gene stealers are. Um, so these crude abominations they they are they uh, they just kind of rampage through uh, imperial lines um, and, and and you know and eat them at the same time. Uh, it's unclear, you know, it could have just been a one-off, but I'd like to think that maybe, you know, the crude have their own fail-safes, uh, just like the Tau do. Uh, if if things start getting really bad, they have uh, they have a couple, you know, dark super weapons in the basement that they can pull out and uh, and throw at their, you know, at their opponents. So so kind of in conclusion to the the Kin Band, um, you know, they. I think the most interesting thing about them is is this aspect that um, they are much more uh, much more religious uh, than the rest of their kind. Um, uh, Vak, uh, the goddess of the crude, is 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 mentioned a couple times uh, in terms of uh, like the the inner you know inner dialogue inner monologues of these crude characters. Uh, and most interestingly, they really long for death. There's there's no other word for it. Um, they're a little bit of a suicide squad because uh, they're effectively their goal is to um, fill themselves up with positive genetic diversity. Uh, and when I say positive, like I mean you know uh, genetic traits that are that are worthy of being passed on. Um, and then they'll be and then they want to be ritually eaten. Um, by the rest of the crew, which is why I don't think I, I don't think a kin band. This will this will probably end up getting a little bit confusing, but I don't think a kin band is the regular formation for the crew. Uh, uh, I still think you have kindreds. I still think that you have carnivore uh, carnivore squads and things like that. Uh, I think the kin band are are an aspect of crew culture that perhaps has been heightened in the past uh, generations where. Genetic diversity is still so important to the crude uh, that they, uh, you know, they have these small uh, units that basically go out into the galaxy. Uh, per, you know, perhaps they uh, work for the highest bidder, but ultimately for the chance to find the hardiest or the most crafty or the most lethal enemy, kill them, eat them, and then return to their communities where they'll be eaten uh, in turn. It's interesting because um, in the descriptions of White Dwarf, uh, for for the crude, we always knew that they were eaten toward the ends of their lives. Now, crude are pretty long lived, um, but when they when they age to a certain point, they uh, they kind of give themselves up to their children, who then who then who then eat them, and it's 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 something you know, it's something that's uh, pretty gruesome to watch for Tau observers um, who who see this. Uh, but um, but this is just a, a, an ingrained part of not just their culture but their biology. Um, the kin band being a, being a suicide element brings into play uh, parts of crude religion that we just don't know anything about, um, and uh, and I'm excited to get uh, to get more information uh, as uh, you know as as clear. I mean, the the crude have always been um, kind of a fan favorite, uh, and originally were supposed to be a standalone faction, um, and it seems like that's kind of in the you know the direction that we're going in. Um, so, so what does that mean for Tau lore? Well, um, most obviously, uh, we are entering into an era where, you know, <laughs> uh, 
a lot of people want more violence in the, you know, the <laughs> the attempted noble bright faction of Warhammer 40k, uh, and and I'm and frankly I'm all for it if it means we're going to get more stuff like like the kin bands. Um, a, a little piece of lore uh, that I was able to dig up uh, is is an example of a crute shaper who, after a battle uh, with the Tau, or not with the Tau, excuse me, uh, uh, working with the Tau, um, he uh, basically kind of found himself by him uh, by by you know alone, and uh, and and came upon a some some Tau dead. Um, which he then decided to consume their, their, their flesh. Now, this is forbidden by the decree of the Oathstone um, that, was, that, was, uh, that was sworn upon by Encore Proc, who was the leader of the Crute at the time of uh, the, the, uh, the Tau kind of first contact war between the, the Tau and their new allies, the Crute and the Orcs. Uh, Encore Proc made, made a decree that Crute that would not eat Tau. So this shaper is in direct contradiction to that law. And what's so interesting about it is that uh, he found himself uh, with the unique ability to uh, choose what aspects of his evolution would advance. Um, now, this is, this is unusual for crude because they are, they are not in control of it. They have to eat uh, certain, certain uh, let's call it meat, right? Like they have to eat... Uh, specific meat um, in order to directly then impact, you know, let's say the the their eyesight. Um, uh, depending on how many generations they, you know, they're even able to sprout wings. Uh, uh, or, or I mean, th- there's one description of crew uh, that start developing the ability to have low level psychic abilities uh, that allow them to completely disappear from the human eye. Um, you know, the crew evolution is fascinating, but it is inherently tied to their ability to get their hands on specific types of uh, prey. Um, this shaper uh, did not have that problem anymore when he ate Tau flesh. He was able to choose what uh, what would be able to advance. And within a few years, he went completely insane. Um, now, we've talked about accelerated evolution with the Tau. I've always been a little bit wary of think i think the word evolution got thrown around too early in the design of the tau um rapid evolution wouldn't really you know it it doesn't have a a corresponding effect with technology um as much as it you know as much as kind of is to be, be believed in the first codex um it's much more what they're describing when they talk about the tau is a cultural unification and when you have cultural unification you no longer uh, have to worry about internal competition. You're worried about external competition, competition, um, which allows you to focus on. You know, you don't have to worry about getting stabbed in the back uh, by your neighbor. Um, you can you can freely work together to solve a problem. Um, you know, I, I, I've often brought up the example of imagine if America and uh, Russia or China could uh, could for just one minute think that they're not going to topple each other's governments or 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 shrink each other's hegemony um imagine if we could like focus on oh i don't know like the environment or colonizing the moon and if we could completely give up our paranoia about each other uh, imagine what we could accomplish and i've always compared that to the tau the tower just a species that were, was able to do that they got their uh their stuff together 
um, and uh, and were able to achieve uh, advancement and prolonged advancement, um, especially when they uh, started having their first contact wars with the Nikasar and later the Orcs. So, um, but then there's this little tidbit about uh, a, sh a shaper who's eating Tau flesh and suddenly able to evolve faster and more controlled than before and then go insane. I might be a convert to the idea that maybe there is some some uh, evolutionary weirdness going on with the Tau, and uh, I do hope this little tidbit of lore gets uh, gets expanded upon, obviously. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Um, well, that kind of brings us, uh, <laughs> as always, I thought this was going to be a shorter episode, but it looks like we're dipping into uh, the 45-minute mark. So I'll just leave you uh, with this. Um, the Kroot uh, are getting, are, are just being handled really well um, by the Black Library authors and by the design team. Um, these models are, are amazing. Uh, the, the, the subsequent lore that we're getting uh, out of it is, is fantastic. Um, I do think that there are opportunities for there to be more contention between the Kroot and the Tau. Uh, obviously, the fourth sphere has sparked several uh, internecine uh, conflicts between uh, kindreds being hunted by fourth sphere, uh, let's call them uh, uh, psychopaths. <laughs> um, uh, but obviously, the fourth sphere lore has been concluded, uh, and the and the Tau within those cadres that uh, perform those uh, war crimes have been uh, have been chastised. So that that storyline is kind of uh, ended. But I'm here for it, you know. Um, I think that uh, the Kroot have always been the second most loved uh, child in the in the, uh, under the umbrella of the of the Tau, um, uh, the Vespid being the the, the favorites. Um, I think it would be, I think it would it would give us uh, an, uh, a really interesting narrative opportunity to show that perhaps in this brand new galaxy that we've just been given with, you know, a giant scar ripping it in half, that uh, perhaps some of the crew that have been widespread in the galaxy for the last uh, 2,000, uh, 3,000 years um, since the crew initially aligned with the Tau, maybe they are kind of coming home uh, <laughs> to roost and that maybe they don't like, uh, maybe they don't like the, the situation that Angkor Proct kind of forced uh, the you know his people into, and maybe they maybe they want a different deal. Um, and uh, I am absolutely excited at the idea of the Tau kind of having to perhaps be forced back to the negotiation table. Otherwise, uh, they risk a war with a species uh, that is uh, that is as dangerous as the Kroot can be. Certainly, after they take a bite out of you. Um, yeah. 